Welcome to the Uncover Pod, the podcast where we delve into the world of legal risk and compliance. I'm your host, Daniel Chatfield, and each week we will be speaking with industry-leading experts, thought leaders, and successful professionals who have made their mark on the industry. We'll explore the latest trends, share best practices, and offer insights and advice that will help you navigate your career path with confidence and clarity. Uncover is a specialist legal risk and compliance recruiter, and whether you're a seasoned professional or just starting out in your career, the Uncover Pod is the podcast for you. So sit back, relax, and let's uncover your potential together. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the seventh edition of the Uncover Pod. My name is Daniel Chatfield, the director and founder of Uncover. We're a specialist legal risk and compliance recruitment business that specializes in placing risk and compliance professionals into law firms across the UK. Today, I'm very excited to join, be joined by another wonderful guest. Um, it's somebody who I've known for a number of years. She is a three-time author and currently serving as the general counsel at Howard Kennedy. Please join me as we welcome to the show, Rebecca Atkinson. Thanks. Good morning. Thank you very much. Thank you for the wonderful introduction there, Dan. Well, you, you're most welcome. I am very, very glad to have you on the show. Um, I think certainly... Your, your character within the risk and compliance space, I, I know you as a person who is really, really passionate, so I, I have no doubt we're going to have a really productive conversation and, and really looking forward to it. No pressure, um, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> um, do you want to take a minute or two to, to introduce yourself very quickly? Yeah, sure, no problem. So, well, I mean, I, I think you said it in terms of the job title. So I am the general counsel at Howard Kennedy LLP. We're in London Bridge. I've been there for over nine years now. I'm also the Compliance Officer for Legal Practice, the Money Laundering Reporting Officer, the Money Laundering Compliance Officer, Data Protection Officer, and I'm sure there's a lot, some few other things that I might have forgotten and I'm running out of breath. Um, and I've got a team of around seven or eight, seven or eight, because as we know, recruitment can sometimes be a bit of a revolving uh, door sometimes, you know, and obviously we'll, we'll, we're going to chat about some of that. Um, but I essentially head up the risk team there. We are a, what I would call a full service team. So we do everything, complaints, claims, onboarding, um, looking after high risk clients, making sure that we're onboarding them properly. Um, I look after PI renewal. Um, obviously we look after data, ethics, counts, rules, queries, code, code queries, everything and everything the weird wonderful and sometimes obscure and strange risk compliance things that come up and sometimes things that don't belong to risk compliance but no one knows where to go so it kind of comes to us and I think a lot of teams risk teams do suffer that in uh, law firms so yeah so we've been you know I've been there for a long time and prior to that I was at a firm in Surrey and then uh, prior to that I was at um, the Law Society in one guise or another um, yeah, and I'm a, a triple qualified lawyer just because I like to sit exams as well as write books. I just don't, you know, appear to have a life really. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's me kind of me in a nutshell. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Bex. That's great. I mean, that's, uh, you, you certainly do have a, a lot of a lot of hats, so certainly covering a, a very broad remit. Um, I suppose that, that that kind of leads us quite nicely onto our first question, because I suppose having sort of broad oversight of different areas and different pockets within the risk and compliance space, what, what is your take on the market in 2023? And, and are there any emerging risks or challenges that, that you believe will become more prominent in the near future? 
Um, yes, I think the one that's really kind of taken up much more time for me personally, um, maybe for my team, but definitely for me personally, is sanctions compliance. And mm -hmm. I think for lots of larger firms, they've been in that world for quite a long time already because of the types of clients that they have. So Magic Circle, Silver Circle, um, Howard Kennedy, we're not we're not sort of up in those uh, categories or, or you know size categories. But as our clients have become, well, one, more international, um, and two, the sanctions regime has become larger, we, um, I'm having spent quite a lot of time trying to navigate sanctions compliance now um, in relation to do we need a UK license? Do we want to do it? Is the first question. Mm -hmm. I always ask anybody, you know, they say, well, can we? And so could you, can we just stop for a minute and ask if we actually want to? Because I don't want to spend hours and days working out whether we can do it if actually it comes to the end of it and you say, well, I don't really feel comfortable doing it. So let's just cut it short there. So that's the first question I always ask. But if people do want to do it, then obviously we've got to look at it from a UK sanctions compliance perspective but also because of our insurance restrictions U US sanctions are a problem for us because our insurer is ultimately US owned like a lot of big insurers so um, they will not cover also they don't like certain jurisdictions like Cuba and Iran and so on and so forth and also sanctions compliance and acting for clients in these high-risk jurisdictions is becoming more of an issue when it comes to PI renewal as well and insurers are getting uh, quite worked up and upset if we are acting for clients in say Belarus or um, you know Korea or different types of countries that are considered to be high risk um, for sanctions compliance particularly or for sanctions. So sanctions has really changed for me personally in the last 12 months um, and in, on a good note, it's made me get to grips with it more because I now have to. Um, mm -hmm. So whereas, you know, some firms have a sanctions lawyer and we don't, I I, I kind of am, I suppose, the in-house sanctions lawyer now. So I feel like I know enough. So that's kind of a bit of a positive, I suppose. But I think that that's going to continue on um, the sanctions aspect of it for sure. Um, I mean, and the other thing is, I suppose, I mean, obviously we've got AI coming in gpt mm -hmm. there's been lots of discussions around you know what's what does that mean for law firms can our people use it how can they use it will our insurance cover it so um you know we're, we're getting to grips with that we've just set up an ai governance group to discuss these things on a regular basis and to have a bit of a handle on ai tech that's coming in um but you know that obviously is a big risk for law firms and that's something that we're going to have to all grapple with um, at the moment. Um, but, you know, the other challenge really is just client onboarding. You know, it is one of the most costly and time consuming aspects of my team, for sure, is just onboarding clients on a day to day basis. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I, th I think the the mention on the sanctions piece, I suppose, sitting here from a, a recruitment perspective, it certainly is hot on everyone's agenda. And I think law, we work with a broad mix, US, UK, regional firms, national firms, and I think everybody is looking to hire sanctions people um, and not finding it very easy to do so. So I think the recruitment time on some of these roles um, that we've been working on has been in excess of three, four, five, sometimes even six months to the extent where firms have, in some instances, absolutely sort of scrapped the role and had to remodel it, remodel it and try work it into kind of other people's roles. Um, so it, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that 
that ultimately plays out because at the moment the demand for these candidates is is very much out, outstripping the supply. Um, yeah, so, so if you're listening and you and you really love sanctions, get yourself in that yeah. space because <laughs> you know your your goal at the moment, and you will be for a long time to come. You know, this isn't this isn't a flash in the pan. This is the new world that we live in. So, you know, uh, if you are looking for a um, a, a career a lucrative career let's be honest mm, a lucrative mm. career in an area where there are few people sanctions is most certainly one of them yeah absolutely Could, couldn't agree more um and I, I think also i think also on the 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 onboarding side of things i think that's often when you talk about uh well when people generally talk about latest trends it's obviously not something that's usually brought up but i think it's crucially important um and i think equally i think hiring times for junior candidates um has also increased significantly i think there's been a lot of movement over the last sort of 12 to 18 months so people aren't sort of itching to move just yet um so yeah it, it's going to be interesting to see how the the space unfolds generally but that's, i suppose the upside is that the the demand is is there yeah always and um, thank you bex i suppose Having touched on kind of the the team management aspect, I know you said that you do look after seven or eight people at at the moment. Um, different teams of different sizes tend to operate in different ways, but I suppose usually there are some common threads that we see that sort of lend lend themselves to productivity. Can, can you share your approach to managing a risk team w within a law firm? Yeah, I mean, I um, we're not huge as a, as a as a team, obviously. So we we but we don't have a flat structure. We have reporting lines within within the team. So I think that's really important because no, nobody can report into me because I will just be a bottleneck and I, I wouldn't be available mm -hmm. for, for people. Um, but one of the things that I do is, is I do have a one to one with each of those uh, team members, regardless of where they sit in the team on a monthly basis. And some people I work with really closely on a daily basis and some like on the onboarding side. I have an onboarding manager that absolutely looks after them. So I don't necessarily interact with them multiple times in a day. But it's really important that we all stay um, really connected. Obviously, the larger teams that, you, you know, if you're in a firm with a large team, that's much more of a challenge. But I'm sure you'll have different structures and methods to do that. Um, but but what we do is is we um, we have uh, a couple of team meetings a week. I mean, when we first went to lockdown, we were meeting every day, and after about two weeks, we just got nothing to say to each other anymore. You know, so that you know, because we were all really concerned about not being feeling connected anymore, because we were in the office five days a week, seeing each other, um, eating an incredible amount of Percy pigs, which is what we do in my team, and uh, you know, so. So we so we did that, but we 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 you know we managed to sort of pull that back a bit. I have a, a then I've got two senior risk compliance counsel in my team, and we work extremely closely together. And so I see them two or three times a week, virtually or in person, depending on what what's going on. Um, but we but the other thing is is that we um, in terms of sort of managing the team is is we are very flexible at my firm, mm -hmm. and. I think that that you know we don't we don't mandate certain days we don't mandate a number of days but what we do as a team is we have an anchor day so every week everyone will be in on a Tuesday or a Wednesday um, and actually I've moved away uh, I now live in Snowdonia which people okay. blow people's brains they kind of like how can you work in London but live in Snowdonia because what I do is I go into the office every two weeks for three days um, and that works really well actually so on those two days I will see 
I'm going for three, but they won't come in. They come in for two that week and then one the week, the next week that I'm not there. But it just helps to see people face to face and that kind of keeps us all connected as well. Um, but if, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you, if managing a risk team, it's just really important that you're sort of super collaborative really as much as possible and you're connected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And th- that's an interesting point you raised there because I, th- I suppose everyone speaks about sort of having FaceTime and constantly connecting, but I, I suppose there also is the risk of doing that f- too frequently where to the point where that um, sort of communication does become quite stale. So I think provided that I, I, I get the impression that it needs to be actually purposeful and, and interesting as opposed to just for the sake of touching base. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are sometimes, you know, my, myself and my two lawyers might have an hour meeting in um, and actually we haven't really got much to say. So we'll not have 10, 15 minutes and then we'll, we'll, we'll you know, take the time back, which is always great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right. You do. You, it does need to be purposeful. But also, you know, there were when we were in the office of five days a week, not every conversation you had was about work. It was about, you know, this, the movie you saw last night or, you know, the, your rubbish train journey in or something like that. So I think it's kind of important to have those types of things as well. Have those water cooler moments, which trying to replicate that remotely is is quite difficult. But, yeah, it's I think we've all become probably a bit more efficient um at what we talk about but um you know I, I i mean since lockdown i have way more meetings than i did before and they're half an hour this half an hour that and to, for your brain to go flip 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 flip, flip is extremely mm. tiring so um it, i think it's it, it is you're right things have to ha- have a purpose i mean for meetings for meeting sakes just annoying absolutely everybody but it's also good as well just to have a natter and that's yeah. that's that's a positive thing to keep keep teams kind of gelled together yeah, absolutely. And I suppose overall, in terms of your team and from a, from a more cultural perspective, how, how do you foster a culture of risk awareness and accountability within the team? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very, um, I am a, not a micromanager at, at all. Um, I am not, I mean, I would say this, wouldn't I, because I'm saying it, but I'm not controlling in any way. So ask my team members because they might say actually that's not true I'm sure they wouldn't they'd all tell me that that is not true but I um I absolutely um I love delegating <laughs> because I just want other people to do really interesting work I like delegating to them and I like giving uh people jobs that will stretch them and um, help them learn so when we're talking about sanctions for example I'm quite comfortable with sanctions compliance having now been through the journey for the last year 18 months or whatever but I will make sure that the two lawyers in my team are copied in for example and we can discuss it together so that they are being developed at the same time and also because they need to be developed so that when I can have a holiday so that I'm not you know sort of bothered on holiday and etc and things like that um, I, you know, everybody has their own areas of responsibility. Um, now, ultimately, the buck will stop with me in certain things, for example, money laundering, um, you know, culp stuff and things like that. But everybody in the team has their own area of responsibility. And that makes them feel accountable and be accountable and gives, I think, satisfaction to them that they are doing something which is meaningful, purposeful and worthwhile and adding um, value to the firm. I mean, in terms of risk awareness, I mean, there is so much, as you know, content out there that gets thrown at you. Um, 
most of the time completely uh, free. Um, but what we what we tend to do is we tend to share that in amongst the uh, teams. So if I see something that I think is going to be useful, I will share that with them. Um, we'll encourage to talk about it. So oh, did you see that webinar on so and so? Or did you see that article about that? So we'll discuss it at team meetings and make people absolutely aware of their, um, you know, the, the what's going on in their particular area. Um, and what I do as well is I always encourage, you know, each, so I've got two, it's one team, but we're kind of in two halves. One's the onboarding side and one's risk advice, which is sort of everything else. And what I try to do as much as possible is, is to encourage everybody to actually understand the law that sits beneath what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So on mm -hmm. the onboarding side is actually making sure that, if they understand what the regulations actually require, because if you understand what the regulations require, you're then going to understand why you're doing what you're doing and therefore you're going to get behind what you're doing. And so that's that's really important. So I try to encourage that as well. Um, so so people's um, risk awareness and about knowledge and also the ability to take a risk-based approach, having the confidence to be able to do mm -hmm. that, having also the authority to do that, um, but knowing when to push it up to say me or another team member is really important. But I think having that culture of you can do it, you've got the skills to do it, yeah. be encouraging and give people um, the authority to be accountable creates this culture of being aware of what's going on, but also having um, purpose. And I think that's really important. And I, although, although I've, you know, we, we've had conversations about recruitment lately, Dan. I have normally a very stable team because mm -hmm. people are constantly being stretched, but in a, in a lovely, positive, healthy way rather than stressed, stretched yeah. because they are being um, developed on a regular basis. So so we have so as a, as a team, we have a really great culture and we, we're very well respected in the firm and considered to be a lovely team, which, of course, we are. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you are. I'm <laughs> sure you are. Um, so yeah, I, the, the, I think the, the the point that you made about sort of empowering people to actually grow and develop and simultaneously giving them the, the the sort of avenue and responsibility to be stretched, I think that whole concept I think is crucial in any any team. I suppose again, sitting sitting from a recruitment perspective, I think where people become huge flight risks and where firms tend to lose a lot of people is when the role does become quite monotonous and transactional. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, when, when I caught up with with Resh Miraja last week, I think she she mentioned quite an interesting approach that she had picked up from a podcast by Stephen Bar Bartlett when she talks about um, uh, imposter syndrome, which is often sort of phrased in the negative. But if you view it as the positive, if somebody's feeling a little bit, not massively uncomfortable, but slightly uncomfortable as though they are being stretched and pulled to that's ultimately how they grow and develop and i think it's that growth and development which tends to retain people yeah and i think e even more so particularly in a market where it is very competitive where sort of big salaries are being thrown around all the time it's it's that growth and the development aspect which is becoming increasingly more more important yeah and i think if you so so what the challenge with that is is that some jobs it, the, it is potentially a monotonous processing mm. type role so it's about and some people are happy to stay in that and that's that's all they want and they want to come in and you know I'm very um conscious that 
it's absolutely right that we give everybody the opportunity to develop, but it's also okay if you just want to stay as you are. I think yeah. we push people sometimes, you know, what's your goal for the next year? What are your objectives? Mm-hmm. Well, my objectives is just to come into work and actually do my job. And I'm happy doing that. And you, you know, ultimately those people need to exist as well. And, um, you know, and long may they exist because people yeah, are sometimes yeah. just happy where they are and that's absolutely fine. But those that do want to develop, it's about giving them the opportunity to do that with hopefully within the confines of their own or the, the you know, confines as in that confining, but within their own role. But if that's not possible, so for example, if it's on, an onboarding person where their mm-hmm. role is to process and analyze due diligence on a day-to-day basis, but they do have bigger ambitions to, to have a much wider role. It's about giving them the opportunity to get involved with something else in the team. So a project or, um, you know, there's, um, you know, you want to learn how to handle complex. Okay. Let's shadow shadow one of the lawyers who's doing that or what or you want to know a bit more about insurance okay come to a meeting with me whatever it might be because if like you say if people feel that they're stagnating and they can go over here and get more money and you know might get better development then they they will ultimately jump with their feet they'll vote with their feet so it's Mm -hmm. it's 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 i think the challenge is in some roles trying to give people that development where perhaps there isn't you've got to think a bit outside the box to be able to do it sometimes i guess is what i'm saying yeah absolutely i think you raised a very important point there around give people opportunity to develop but don't assume that they automatically want to shoot the lights out yeah there's i think i mean i mean i i think a lot of these development, um, you know, performance plans or whatever, whatever they're called, you know, appraisal documents every year, they are they are quite often they're just. I mean, I'm just talking from some experience. I don't want to blanket, uh, you mm-hmm. know, tell everybody everybody's the same, but they're being produced by HR colleagues who, um, perhaps sometimes have the view that everybody wants to go up, mm-hmm. everybody wants to develop, and everybody wants to um you know get to the top of something but you know and obviously with with lawyers it's a continuing competency regime and everybody must have a a series of developing but sometimes people are just happy like a pa for example or or a solicitor might say i'm just happy as where i am mm-hmm. you know and i think uh, if i had an onboarding person or a lawyer in my team that said I'm very happy with my job. I don't want to take on any more or I yeah. don't, you know, as long as you're, I'm doing what the firm needs, I don't want to be a head of risk compliance. I don't want to be a director of or whatever. I think that's, we should sit back and go, that's great. That at least you know ways and, and we want you to continue as you're doing because, you know, then, I mean, maybe it's not so good for you, Dan, because then people wouldn't be leaving and moving <laughs> on. But, you know, you need you need stability as well in a team. So to have people who are happy doing their role is really important. Yeah, and I, I think that probably leads quite nicely into that that point you raised initially about sitting down and having the monthly one-to-ones. Mm. It probably gives you a lot more insight into terms of actually what does this person want as opposed to just applying a blanket approach of let, let's try to get everybody to, to grow. Yes, exactly. And those, I mean, generally those monthly one-to-ones that I have with everybody, it's a touch point, especially those that I don't maybe interact with on a, on a sort of a day-to-day basis. But it's how are you? How is your workload? How are you finding it? Are you happy ultimately? Is there anything that we could be giving you that you would like to do? And so it's a really, you know, I, and I, I, I do that because that's my experience. When I worked at the Law Society, I had a line manager that would do that. And he would move away from his desk onto a little table in his room. And that hour was mine 
and it was I really enjoyed it so I the way you manage people or the way that you interact with people is you I, I think you tend to take the bits that have been exerted towards you that you like and you replicate it and that's what I've replicated in my team mm-hmm. and we we all Oh, as far as I know, everybody really enjoys it. And, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't take an hour and it takes 20 minutes and that's fine. But you've got that touch point with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Bex. Um, I suppose shifting the focus slightly, um, in your experience, what are the most important attributes or or skills that you'll look for when when hiring candidates into your team? Well, um, the one thing that I... I like to have, but it isn't a complete compulsory for the vast majority of the time is actual technical knowledge, because I, as long as you have the ability to learn and you want to learn, that's enough. Now, it depends on the role that you're recruiting for. Sometimes, you know, we we need people to hit the ground running, so they need to have a a base knowledge. Um, It depends on the role. But for me, what's really important is, is that um, you've got an absolute can-do attitude. You're not um, you know, that's not my job mm-hmm. um, because we all ha- at times we all have to muck in. So I've been I've been on helping on boarding clients, you know, things like that. I'm I've got somebody on holiday and, you know, I'm, I'm a bit depleted at the moment. So I'm taking I'm picking up risk advice queries. I wouldn't normally actually I'm really enjoying it. So it's quite nice to keep my hand in. But we all we all need to have a yeah, let's muck in, roll the sleeves up. We're all going to help each other. Um in some aspects of risk and compliance, it's a really tough job. Um, well, all aspects at one point or another. You you are trying to sometimes get people to do things they just don't want to do. So you have to approach things with a level of positivity mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and yet sometimes catastrophize. So you're saying, look, the worst case scenario is this. So let's think about that, uh, but let's do this instead. And so you're trying to approach things in a positive can-do way. Um, and for me, one of the th- one of the things that's really, really important is commerciality. So at the end of the day, the law a law firm is there to service clients and make money mm-hmm. and keep the lights on and pay people's salaries. And um, you know, it is a business at the end of the day. And so my job and my t- the job of my team is to get people to where they need to get to in the most compliant way and the most risk adverse way. But that doesn't mean that risks can't be taken. They've just got to be understood, calculated properly, and people do things with their eyes open. And I will always try to find the route which gets us to where we want to get to so that commercially we can act, for example, commercially Mm -hmm. we can do this transaction or whatever it might be. And I think because, because I've, because that is the attribute, one of the attributes that I um, I require of all of my team members. The team is considered to be. I mean, we have people join us, for example, from other firms, and they say, "You're not like other risk teams. Mm. You're like you're helpful, or <laughs> you know, you actually try and make it happen." And I said, "Well, that because that's what our our job is." And I think a lot of teams are no, 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 no. You can't do mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. blocking. You know, it's easy to say no. It's harder yeah. to say yes, but what we've got to do is the following five things. So mm-hmm. it's about doing that. So so everybody, every candidate that I'm looking at, um, from the very junior to the very senior, I'm looking for that commercial um, can-do 
um, creative thinking attributes in people to try and find a solution to get to the end point, basically, and a willingness to learn. If you don't know it, willingness and ability to learn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that that seems to be a a common thread that we've we've seen. So whether it's sort of people that I'm speaking to from Denton's or Ashurst or wherever it might be, I think the one thing that comes across is just that leaders within the business just want to see that enthusiasm, that desire to learn, that desire to engage with your material. Um, because yeah, I think I think ultimately if you if if you are looking to get buy-in from the business, um, the people that you're working with need need to sense that. Um, yeah. And I think I think particularly what we have seen in, in more recent times, and I think this is something that firms are struggling with. And I think particularly with when candidates are interviewing over VC often, it can be quite difficult to sort of get that enthusiasm across. Um, but I, I tell all candidates it's absolutely crucial if you're sitting down for an interview, whilst you're sitting down in front of a computer screen, there's only so much you can do, just have it at the back of your mind because it, it is crucial. Yes, yeah. Well, I think, yeah, it's um, it can feel a bit stiff, can't it, having an interview by mm. video. But I think it's a bit like you probably have to over enthusiastically nod your head a bit, you know, to make <laughs> it so because your body, your body language is 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 obviously can be quite overt, but actually can be quite subtle that you cannot pick up on camera or on a mm. video. So um, yeah, if anybody was thinking, oh, okay, how do I show my, you know, verbalize, but also show your body language as well and look engaged and enthusiastic. So yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And I suppose, Bex, what, what would your advice be to risk and compliance professionals who are just starting out in the industry? Um, I would say that um, it's 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 up to you in terms of whether you want to go down a particular track. So you might say, I want to be an AMAR person. I want to be a risk advice type person, a compliance advice person. I want to be a sanctions lawyer. You can choose to be quite um, focused um, or you can choose to be uh, more general uh, than that. And you can, I mean, I've always been a generalist, a a sort of a a generalist specialist. So I kind of know a a, a lot about a lot, um, but sometimes there's bits that I don't know that much about at all. So um, I've always wanted to have a very broad practice. And and I've I've had discussions about, you know, over the years, people have approached me for roles where it, it is just one aspect and it's just not what I ultimately mm-hmm. personally want so have a think about what you want to do in terms of whether you want to be focused and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all and the larger firms you go to the more focused you'll end up being or whether you want something that's quite broad um, and then I would say absolutely learn as much as you can there is um, you you can't overlearn in this sector you know the more you know the more things will connect to each other so if you find that um, you know you have a sanctions issue because you know about money laundering you're going to be thinking about it from that perspective as well because you understand the code of conduct you're going to be thinking about it from that perspective as well all the SRA principles and so on and so on so learn as much as you can and there are as we mentioned before a ton of resources out there Mm -hmm. the vast majority of the time they're completely free Um, so you know hook up to those publications newsletters that you get sent in there's so many free webinars 
I mean, a lot of the time I cannot attend a webinar, but what I'll do is I still sign up and then I'll listen to the recording later whilst I'm hoovering or doing <laughs> something else. And true, it's a true story. What I do is, is I tend to, I listen to uh, webinars whilst I'm doing my housework because then I feel like when well, I'm doing something productive and I'm actually also cleaning the house. But, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. me. But you can also do things like you can download um, applications which will read you text. So I listened to um, the SRA sanctions guidance um, because it was so long. I just, I just, I can't, I just can't sit down and w- read this right now. So I, I downloaded it into an app, and then I, I went for a walk and listened to it being read to me, which was really useful. So just things like that because there is quite a lot of stuff to take in, to take in really. Then, so have a think about your area. Learn as much as you absolutely can. Take advantage of the um, resources that are out there for you. And then network as much as you can. Get mm-hmm. yourself on LinkedIn. You don't have to overplay it. I mean, you'll see me. I don't I don't post on LinkedIn very often. Some people post an awful lot. Um, and that's okay for them. It's whatever you're comfortable with. Be careful about your posts as well, though. Um, I would say make them professional. But you know, get get to know people, network as much as you can, get yourself into a network, meet people who are doing it at a similar role as you or, you know, in roles that you want to be in and try to build your brand as much as possible. So um, if you do want to go up to head of director GC, that type of thing, it w- doesn't hurt to have a brand. So people know me, for example, that's, you know, maybe they might know me, not like me, but they know me. So, it, it, you know, build your brand, you'll get to be known and then you will be approached for things or opportunities or, you know, podcasts with the lovely Daniel or, you know, or, you know, I speak at conferences, I train people for MBL, a law society, things like that. So have a think about, um, have a think about whether you want to do that. Now, if you don't want to do that, that's absolutely fine as well. It's a bit, some people just don't, you know, they don't want to to have a brand like that. And that's absolutely fine. It just depends on what kind of role you want. But that's what I say, learn, network, and, um, you know, have a think about where you want to be. Brilliant, brilliant. And yeah, I, th- I think just to kind of add to that point, and I think on on, on the build building your brand, I think it was, I appreciate there is the the external building of the brand, but I think Simon Hammond from um, Eversheds, he 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 was he he focused very much on the idea of building your brand internally within the business. Yes. Because um, I think often it's difficult for people to sort of trust you if they don't know who you are, and you're ultimately more likely to uh, get known around the firm. You're likely to get more interesting work, and ultimately likely to progress a bit quicker if people actually know who you are and, and sort of they feel that you are their trusted advisor. Yes, absolutely. Completely agree. Um, yeah, brand isn't, you're absolutely right. Brand is not just external, it's internal as well. And when people joined law firms in lockdown, that was incredibly hard to do because there's nothing better than build, building your internal brand by actually just walking around and saying hi to mm-hmm. people and people saying, oh, you know, I don't know your face. And you're saying, yes, I'm in the risk compliance team. This is what I do. So um, yeah, have a think about how you might do that. And you might do that by um, attending team, you know, fee earning team meetings to say a few things. This is what we do. We go, we do rounds every quarter where we go to all of the fee earning uh, teams, teams meetings to give them key compliance 
compliance risk compliance messages because we realize that people are so busy just doing the fee earning work that they're not necessarily going to read everything that we put out so we try to be realistic about that um so yeah get round to teams at team meetings um and if you are in the office, you know, consider sitting on a different floor for even if it's just two or three hours, say hi to people, um, you know, walk the floors, um, take a meeting, but don't put it on your floor, put it on the next floor up or the floor up above that. So people get to see your face. Um, just anything that you can do to kind of, you know, get yourself about in you know, obviously a non-annoying way. Don't get in people's faces. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, and be responsive and be positive and be can do and be commercial, and you'll absolutely win. You'll absolutely win. And if you really have um uh, you know, uh, you really need to get to know people um and get to know them. So ask them about them. And that's always mm -hmm. a good trick to, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's a good way to, you know, where do you live or, you know, have you got any kids or whatever? I mean, maybe some people might think you shouldn't delve into people's personal life. But I think if you say, well, where do you live? Do you travel? Do you have a long commute or something like that? You know, get to know people and uh, they'll get to know you and, and they'll come to you. Yeah. And I think Rishma mentioned a very similar thing that it takes years and a lot of interaction to build those deep relationships um, and I suppose it's, it's all very well built building a, a work relationship but I suppose it's it's more the personal stuff that, that that sticks and what people remember yeah yeah can be wonderful and um, Bex I suppose moving on to our final question I know in, at, the, at the start of the conversation you you spoke about sort of the the changes around the corner around AI chat, chat GPT uh, things like that and um, how, how has technology impacted the the risk and compliance space and, and what do you think the future holds in terms of technological advancements yeah I mean I, I mean I think the, the biggest impact on the tech in the risk compliance space is onboarding really and how we onboard our clients and using biometrics and um you know really clever ways in which to quickly onboard clients um so that that has i think been one of the biggest areas um there's more development in that i mean i saw something the other day around source of funds checks that one of the um uh, big sort of onboarding uh, tech um, outfits are offering and i thought well we better have a look at that to see what that actually is and what it's doing and whether it's mm -hmm. enough so um there is um more development there i think to be had um what is what is a challenge is actually having a product that does absolutely everything for you so if anybody is listening and they think i want to set up a tech company for law firms <laughs> then i would say have a look at all of the onboarding products and make one that does it all because yeah we find that actually you need two or three different things in order to do what you need to do. And that does make the process quite bitty. Lots of firms can't afford huge um, tech platforms. So, um, you know, who, who will take in all of these other uh, tech applications and then um, put it into a workflow for you. So if we could have a, a platform that does absolutely everything, because I, I haven't found it unless I just haven't looked at the right ones. So. You know, on onboarding is, um, you know, I think one of the, one of the areas that has probably been impacted as mostly in my experience by uh, technology. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier about um, AI in particular, Chat, chat GPT, and, and there'll be another version of a different version of Chat GPT at some point, and it's just going to evolve and evolve and evolve. And the challenge is, of course, that as a law firm, you need to engage with new technology on a const constant basis. Um, you need to stay competitive with your peers. 
And um, but what we must always do is do it with our eyes open. So it's really important that you've got risk compliance personnel on the journey. Um, you can't have a situation where IT are driving the train and risk compliance are just passengers on that train. Mm-hmm. We've all got to be in it together. So um, as I mentioned earlier, we have um, in fact, the first meeting today at two o'clock, I think, is the AI governance group. Oh, um, so we'll be talking about what that means and what, what, how, when we want to look at a new piece of AI kit, what the process for that might be. It will be a bit of engagement with me because I want to know what it does. Will it our insurance cover it, for example? The output, will it be covered by insurance? Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. So there's lots, lots to be thinking about, you know. Um, so AI is 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 a really big technological area that I think is um it's not going to take, I don't think it'll ever replace lawyers, but it might yeah. make things, we might mean that we can put out more work mm-hmm. um, and do so in a more efficient way. Um, so, yeah, I would say that that's, that's the future in terms of the future risks in terms of tech um, and where we might be going. Perfect. So not something to be scared of, but something to use with caution. Yeah, I think it's really, imp- I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie that when ChatGPT come out, I was, stop it, you know, let, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, no one should be using it. Blah, 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 blah. And I went out to my peer group and said, what are you guys doing about this? And a few had said, we're thinking about it. We're discussing it. Um, and a few said, we have actually put a ban in the firm. You must not use it for client work. Um, and I, there was one of one uh, firm that said they'd actually said that people could use it for client work, but one out of maybe yeah. ten or fifteen. So they were they were the, on the outside of the of the group generally. Um, what we've said on that score is is that you mustn't use it for client work, um, but we'll, we'll we'll keep that under constant review. Um, so, I, but I think it's very easy for, or it's more comfortable for risk people to shut down anything which is um presenting potentially a risk when actually what we should do is understand what the the ai tech is going to potentially give the firm commercially mm-hmm. and then assess the risks and whether those risks are balanced with the actual output because sometimes when what, what i've found is is that sometimes when you look at the risk the risk is too high for what we're getting mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas if it was balanced the other way you might say okay well the risk is minimal it could be there, it could happen, but the output is so much better and higher. And we're going to make commercially, it's going to be good for the firm. We're going to make fees from this. So if the balance is there, then you take that risk. And for me, risk risk and compliance isn't about eradicating risk. It's about managing risk. So it's about mm-hmm. mitigating it as much as possible, but making um, commercial decisions when we're doing so. Fantastic. Thank you, Bex. Um, yeah, I mean, all of that's been really insightful. Um, I think whether it's relating to tips and tricks for candidates, whether it's relating to team management, AI, um, certainly a lot of a lot for people to take in and digest. Um, that's probably all we have time for today. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. It's been great to catch up. Um, hopefully you. you enjoyed the conversation. Oh, very much so. Yeah, just, just try and stop me. I could keep going all day. So yeah, <laughs> no, thank you very much for having me on, Dan. I've really enjoyed it.